Yeah. Welcome, uh, SUM students. Welcome, those of you listening online. I am super excited for today's chapel. We are studying presuppositional apologetics. This is uh, an area I'm very interested in. Um, This deals with how we address mostly skeptics, unbelievers, people who identify as atheists, agnostic, people who subscribe to a postmodern or a relativistic worldview, um, and, and addressing them and addressing their objections to the Christian faith, because that we find that their objections to the Christian faith presuppose a Christian worldview. Get, get this. If you say the God of the Bible is evil, that presupposes the existence of evil, the existence of good, and objective moral standards that their worldview will not allow. They borrow from God to slap God in the face. And so when we go to the atheists, we go knowing truth is on our side. We go in, uh, knowing th- with boldness, you know what I'm saying? Not begging them to love Jesus, not begging them to believe, not saying, well, you know, Noah could have fit all the animals on the ark because they were probably asleep. You know, we don't have to go down those routes because the truth is already on our side and um, they know it deep down. So let's welcome our pastor, our visionary leader, Joe Y. Rostek. Thank you, sir. Open up your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. We're going to get into the need, first of all, of why to do apologetics. The word apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia. And Joby, I forgot the keyboard and tracker. Will you get it for me, please? Thank you. And Joby's been very helpful for us. Let's give it up for Joby. He really helps get these out there to everybody. We average somewhere between two to 300 a week on our views. So God is really using this to get the message out. And I hear a lot of people tuning into us from around the country as well, and even around the world now. Isn't that awesome? So when we look at the word apologetics, it means to give the defense of the faith. It comes from the Greek word apologia, and depends how you pronounce that G, can de- uh, depend on how it sounds, apologia, you know, but it's uh, kind of pronounced in, in most circles today as apologia, even though it's probably a mispronunciation. And uh, the English word we know is apologetics, so don't feel bad about saying apologetics if a Greek scholar wants to tease you a little bit and say it's a yeah, yeah. And by the way, my wife is Greek and speaks fluent Greek, but that doesn't mean you're a scholar either. So just knowing the language doesn't mean you understand it, right? So that there needs to be both spirit and truth working together, spirit and mind as well. So here we go. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that it, that for the hope that that you have. Here you see that Greek word answer is that word apologia. It's right here for you. Uh, Grab the wrong word there. Sorry. Let me come out of that. Give an answer. Did I grab the right one? There we go. Yeah, hit the right wrong one before. Apologia. A-P-O-L-O-G-I-A means a defense. Uh, it sounds like apology, 
But apology and apology are two different things. An apology is saying, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Apologetics is giving a defense of why you believe what you believe. Here Peter says we always need to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reasons, uh, the reason for the hope that we have. So this gives us our mandate to go out and do apologetics. This assumes you're already doing polemics. Polemics is the preaching of a worldview against other worldviews. So do you see this with Jesus? Does Jesus accept everybody else's worldview, or does he bring his worldview in confrontation to other worldviews? He confronts other worldviews. In the uh, Acts of the Apostles, do the apostles accept everybody else's worldview, or do they bring the Christian worldview, Jesus' worldview, Christ-centered worldview, against the worldview of the world? Right? We see that. And so polemics is preaching your worldview against the other worldviews. Then when you have the confrontation, the debate, the discussion, and let's not think that debate is always unbiblical. Debates happened with Jesus. The debates happened with the apostles. Just look up the word debate and you'll see it in your Bible. It's a positive thing. It's only negative when you're debating with a fool. And at that point, then you're throwing your pearls to swine. But as long as you're debating with someone with, with rationality and wants to listen with an open mind, you are going to be able to accomplish good things. This is biblical uh, way of getting across the truth. And also you can sin by being the one that's right but doing it the wrong way. So, that, you know, there's quite a bit of ways we can sin in debate. But remember, debating itself is not a sin. A lot of people say today in this culture, I don't discuss politics or religion. That's all that the Bible is about is politics and religion. That's it. I mean, that, that is it. There is nothing else that really matters in this world. How we govern, uh, how we look at God governing the world, and how we govern all of the affairs of, uh, of our lives. Uh, government will affect your family. So somebody goes, well, I just want to you know, love my family and go to work. Government affects that. Look at North Korea. You can't have the family that you want. In China, they regulate the amount of children that you have. Uh, your beliefs in one affect the other, too. So if you say, well, I'm just a Christian. I don't get involved in politics. Well, then you're a bad Christian, then, by the definition of what a Christian is. Because the Christian is supposed to affect the politics, affect the government. Pray for those who are in authority and bring forth change. So polemics is our worldview against the other worldviews. We're preaching it in confrontation. It is confrontational. Not fighting against people with flesh and blood, weapons, as the Bible says, but against principalities and spirits. And so words come from spirit. Spiritual people speak words. Animals can parrot a word. A parrot can say something, but they can't create the meaning for that word. It's spirits that speak words. We're speaking them to each other now. Spirits are speaking them to us like radio waves. The spiritual realm is speaking to us, and we can also speak to them. Are you listening? Okay, so we are confronting the worldviews, the other opinions of how things should be with the Bible through our polemics and our gospel preaching. The proclamation, the proclamation of the gospel is the caruso of the evangelion. The proclamation of the gospel in the Greek there. You got some more Greek words. And then when we do it, there is going to be a debate, a kickback. People are now going to start saying, well, why do you believe that? Why do you think this way? Or what about this story in the Bible? Explain that to me. If you think your worldview is so right, well, tell me about this. That's where you need apologetics. Polemics to confront the worldview. Apologetics to defend our worldview. I think we're pretty good here with our polemics. Amen? 
Do you think you can preach the gospel right now? If I put you in front of any group of people, would you be ready to preach the gospel? You may not know everything about the group I put you in front of, but if you know just a little and you know a lot of the gospel, you'll be saved. So you speak to Muslims, maybe you know Muhammad was a prophet, but you know just enough to know he was a false prophet, now preach the gospel and tell them to turn from false prophets. So as long as you know a lot about the gospel and a little bit of the audience you're speaking to, you'll be effective. And remember, knowing the language of the people you're speaking to is effective. You know, you got to know some things on top of the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that can save. It's the only power of God given to men for salvation, but it has to be accompanied with these things. Things that God uses, the means come through, uh, the means that God gives us gives, gives the ability for the gospel to come through, and he uses preaching in a certain language, in a certain context, and we see Paul doing this, knowing the philosophers of his day, quoting them, he's speaking their language, he was multilingual, he knew where to go, he was strategic, and he had a system in place that he could disciple them and continue that cycle of making disciples. So you have polemics, you have apologetics, and then when you get into the world of apologetics, Christian apologetics, the Christian defense of the faith, you get into a lot of different ways to do apologetics. There's basically three different ways. There's the presuppositional way, which our church is the proponent of, so we support that. We'll teach you that. There is the evidential way, and then there is the combined or classic way to use a little bit of presupposition and use a little bit of evidence. I will bounce back and forth between the combination, but when it's really just about the uh, defense of the faith, I will stick on the presuppositional for a very long time because to me that's the most effective. And it's the most, uh, uh, according to the Bible, the most, uh, it's the most biblical pattern. And so I've done this ever since I've known, ever since I've been a Christian, before I ever knew what presuppositional apologetics was. So many of you may be already doing it, not knowing it what, what it is. So I used to debate people on the online uh, internet radio show that I had, and uh, I used to go online, and sometimes I'd have upwards of 1,000 people following me in one debate. It would, it would be packed out. It would be a lot of people. And I was going to go up, up against this group called the Rational Response Squad, RRS, uh, they started the blasphemy challenge on a face uh on a YouTube, thank you, sir, to say whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit and quote-unquote damns their soul to hell because that's the unforgivable sin they'll give a free T-shirt to. So that, along with the DVD documentary, The God That Wasn't There, that kind of got popular on the Internet around that time. That was, this was before Zeitgeist. They uh, started their debates on this uh, this place called Stick Camp, which was really the way to do online discussions at that time. And so I began to confront them. I began to actually bring people from Answers and Genesis there with me. We debated at Evolution. We debated these things. And I remember one time in debate with the main guy, Brian Sapient, he said to me, don't bring any of that presuppositional stuff here. We don't like those guys. And I didn't even know what he meant by that. But what I was doing was engaging him in presuppositional apologetics. So at that point, I had to go back and say, well, who are those guys? I want to know them because I guess I'm in their group and they must be pretty awesome. So I began to study it and I began to understand, oh yeah, this, this, this just makes sense. Now I follow evidentialists all the time, and I get a lot of good things from them, like Frank Turek, William Lane Cray, Gary Habermas, and so forth. Those are more what you would call evidentialists in their, in their apologetics. But even those who are their students, like a David Wood doing a lot with Islam, but he also gets into a secularism and naturalism, he does a combination. And so I will lean towards the combination view, but when I'm in conversation, and if I was uh, able to get this professor to debate with me here at Wright College, if I sit to see him again, and I'll tell him 
I'll pay him $100 if he'll open up a classroom so we can have equal time. And all I ask is that we equal time and that we can record it. Um, you'll see I'll go right into the presuppositions and just stay there for a very long time, but then throw out a little bit of evidentialism just so they can see. I mean, we do have evidence between be, be, on what we're saying. So I went back and studied it, and some of the famous presuppositionalists are like the people from Answers in Genesis. Uh, that's who we're going to get the definition from. Uh, others are like Dr. James White, the Apologia Radio folks, if you've seen them, Jeff Derman, and Abortion Now guys. And uh, a lot of the Reformed folks, uh, um, presuppositional apologetics kind of goes hand in hand with the Reformed guys, but it's not necessarily so. There's Reformed guys who are not presuppositional, and there are presuppositional folks like me who are not Reformed. So it can go both ways. Now, let's look at the definition of presuppositional apologetics. This comes from Answers in Genesis. I will put up this uh, link when we're done here. When explaining their beliefs, Christians often feel they must first prove the Bible or prove the existence of God. This is the evidential approach that's become popular through people like uh, Josh McDowell, evidence that demands a verdict. Love these things. And let me just pause here. Even the evidentialists will say there's a knowing and there's a showing. When it comes to knowing our faith is true, we're all presuppositional. They'll say, guys, we're all presuppositional. We know that we know by God and God alone. But when we are showing our faith and showing the world, we do want to bring in some evidence. And, and their arguments will be uh, that if you look at the early apostles, they were bringing up evidence for the resurrection. They were saying, here are witnesses. These people are still among us. Uh, you can check them out. That was Paul's reputation of doing that. Also with the Word of God, though they weren't going into manuscripts and trying to prove the Noah's flood or whatever, which they probably didn't have to do at that time very much because people were very supernaturally minded, easy easier for them to believe those supernatural claims. But you can see them defending their scriptures and how they line up with the Jewish scriptures, that they, they came in line with it. And so they, they took that. But once again, we would say to those guys, yes, they were preaching the resurrection as evidence. Yes, they were preaching uh, the, con uh, the congruity of the New and the Old Testament. But they were still doing it from the presupposition of the Christian faith. And we'll explain in just a moment, but let's just get it going here on, on this little bit longer of a definition, but I'll work you through this article just so you can open your mind up to it. Okay, this approach reveals that they do not yet understand the Bible's approach known as presuppositional apologetics. apologetics. So to start off trying to prove your Bible is true, trying to start off by proving that God exists, you've already handed the debate over to them in some way because you've let them off the hook for them having to deal with their presuppositions, thoughts that they are assuming are true when they come to the discussion. That's what a presupposition is. You come with a thought that you already believe is true, and then you place it into the context of that discussion. And the truth is, we all have presuppositions. The thing is, the Christian is the only one justified in having them. So we'll get into that, but this shows you that when you think this way, I'm going to start off with evidence. You're not thinking the way the Bible told you to think. Presuppositions are simply beliefs that everyone has that affect how they think. View the world, interpret evidence, and read the Bible. Apologetics is a reasoned defense of beliefs. And so here we go for the definition. So, so presuppositional apologetics is a reasoned defense of Christian beliefs based on recognizing our presuppositions. Do you see the approach? 
Instead of saying, let's both look at evidence, we're going to back it up a step and say, why can we even understand evidence? Why is there even a conversation happening right now? Why are we even expecting each other to be truthful while we look at the evidence? Why should I even trust you? We may look at the same bone in the ground, and you may want to lie as, as long as the day, you may want to keep lying as long as the day, as long as the day is long. You may want to keep lying as long as the day is long. I'm, I'm stuck in an old colloquialism. Find out what that is, because it's like a broken track right now. You'll keep lying, and the days are long, and it'll be like you're lying as long as the day is, or something like that. But you'll just keep going and going. Well, because they don't want to recognize the truth, and it doesn't matter what they do, because they already have a presupposition to say that it's wrong. And so why come to evidence and expect people to be honest, to be open-minded, unless you deal with their presupposition? Are you guys tracking there? That's very important, dealing with people's presuppositions. For instance, and here's a good example. For instance, my presupposition, and this will speak for me as well as the person writing the article, is that God exists and he has given us his word, the Bible. That is the absolute truth. So I will come with my presupposition and say, I believe there's a God and I believe he has spoken and that we have it in the Bible. That is the reason why we can do everything else. Examine evidence. That's the reason why we're human beings and not animals. That's why there's uh, uniformity in nature. If, if gravity was here yesterday, chances are it will be here today. That's going to be my basis, okay? So if I use the Bible as my basis for how to think, interpret evidence, explain the world around me, very similar to how we see a worldview, your presupposition is pretty much your worldview, the glasses on which you see everything else through, and read the Bible, uh, excuse me, to think and interpret evidence, explain the world around me, and read the Bible. So this is going to be my basis for doing everything. The atheist presupposition will most likely be that there is no God and that truth is relative. An atheist, believes, an atheist believes that man decides truth, and so he thinks, he interprets evidence, and views the world and the Bible accordingly. So he's going to say, I get to make the decision. I'm the final arbiter of truth. I'm the final one that gets to decide what's right or wrong. We point back to God and the Bible. Did you get that little colloquialism? Dishonest as the day is long. Thank you. Okay. So let's put this in the biblical context and start with just a real simple presupposition according to the Bible and then weigh it against what people say to us and see if we can get through the smoke and the mirrors and go to their presupposition, okay? So what we're going to start with is if we're preaching against their worldview, now they say back to us, how do you know there is a God, okay? So they're going to say that to us. Now, what is the evidentialist going to answer back with? Well, let me tell you about science. Let me tell you that there's no explanation how nothing can come from, uh, something can come from nothing. Uh, let me start you at this place of evidence. Now, you've heard me say these things, but these are only after the fact that I've dealt with the presuppositions. What is the presupposition that they're assuming here? What is the presupposition? What is something that they're coming to the table with when they're asking that question? How do you know there is a God? 
Exactly, that you can know something. So what we need to do is ask them right here, how do you know anything? And get ready for a long discussion. Because that, that is going to rock them. Well, how do you know you're here? How do you know you're existing? How do you know what truth is? And so one of the just simplest questions is you ask them back, before I answer you, how do you know anything? And so let's just go through what they're going to say. They're going to say, science. I get to test something and it works. How do you know that science is what it says it is and that you're not a brain in a vat right now just programmed in a fake reality to think that these experiments are happening? How do you know that you exist and that scientific laws are real? How do you know that whatever you found out in science yesterday will conform to the laws of nature today? Uniformity, that the laws will conform to the laws, of, uh, they'll be consistent. How do you know that? How do you know you can trust yourself? Maybe you're on an hallucinogenic trip from what somebody gave you three years ago and you're in a coma right now. How do you know any of that? And so this makes them upset if they don't want to open their mind because now they think you're playing games with them. And then what they'll say back to you after you've rocked them is you'll, they'll say, well, how do you know anything? And what are you going to say how you know anything? What are you going to say? Don't let Pastor Jared answer for you now. We've already went through it. We've already said what our presupposition is. I don't mind you looking back at the article. How are you going to say what you know? He says, I'm able to have reason. How do you know you're reasoning correctly? You fall into the same trap as they do. Think of a different answer. I don't have a mic on you guys, so I don't want you guys to, to try to keep explaining. It's, just, it's a real simple answer. Okay? How do you know what you know? Can you think of another answer? If not, it's okay. I just wish there was a mic everybody could talk from. Okay, you don't get it then. That's why we're studying. It's okay. You don't get it. God told me in his Bible, God's Word, God in his Word. That's it. That stops the endless regress of a question to a question to a question to a question. Well, how do you know? Because of science. How do you know that science works? Because uh, it, it's uniformity. But how do you know you're in the same universe? How do you know you didn't just evaporate to another place, you know, and go into a transdimensional place? How do you know you're not in a coma? How do you know that you're even reasoning right now? How do you know you're not lying to yourself? Question, 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 question. They can't answer. So you say, God in the Bible, stop it. It stops the, the regress. Now what do they say? How do you know the Bible is true? How do you know God is true? Now, this is where we say to them, without God in the Bible, nothing would make sense. I just asked you in your worldview to explain to me how you know anything you can't. You're like an equation with dot three, 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 and I got it to be a rounded number. God settles it, and that settles it for me. Now, that right there may seem like an oversimplification, but my friends, that is as true as anything else in this Bible, and it is how the apostles reasoned, and it is how Jesus reasoned. God said it. God said it. God. Now, they may say, well, give me evidence for your God and give me evidence for your Bible. 
People have changed your Bible. But hold on, who am I talking to? Am I talking to someone that's already come to the table saying, I accept there's a God that can speak and record a word, or are you still a person who doesn't know anything? Because if you're a person who doesn't know anything, it doesn't matter what evidence I show you, you're going to keep rejecting it because you don't know anything. You have to stop your regress of folly. That's why the Bible says, there, the, the fool says in their heart, there is no God. Now at this point, all world religions will join us here and say there can be a God and of course he can speak. From that point on, now we deal with the revelation of Scripture in comparison to their revelation of Scripture, showing the truth of our Scripture. But that is only with someone who moves from the place of atheism and agnosticism. They have to come to the way of at least a theist. A deist, rather, still cannot be here. So if you look at it, as we'll put it, A-T-H, atheist is the most ignorant. Atheist meaning there's no God, and they're making definite statements, but yet they say they can't know anything. And I'll show you some little fun tricks, but I don't want you to be all just about fun tricks, but I'll give you some quick one-liners. Agnostic, those who say nobody can know, we don't know and you don't know either. And then deist, possibly a God, but nobody will really ever be able to communicate with him because he's more of a force than a person. These cannot know anything without borrowing from our worldview. From that point forward, you can have polytheists and then theists. And of course, we'll show the polytheists, they're wrong, and then the different branches of theism, Judaism, Islam, Baha'ism, etc., that Christianity explains best what we've just said. Okay. Now, just really quick, they may say to you, well, I don't believe in that stuff. Well, what do you believe in? Well, I just believe in what I can touch, taste, see, smell, hear. And then that's where you back them up again. Well, how do you know you're touching? How do you know you're touching? How do you know you're here? Okay? And then they'll maybe say something like, well, nobody can know for sure. How do you know nobody can know for sure? You just made, you just made a statement. And then you can ask them, well, let's, let's start with this. Do you believe there's absolute truth? And they say No. So you know for certain there is no absolute truth. That was your first absolute truth. Is that absolutely true? That there is no absolute truth? And then they may say, well, this discussion about religion may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Is that statement you just said, it's only true for me, but not true for you, is that true? Because that truth can't be true unless it's only true for me and not true for you. You turn their claims right back on themselves. You get them to think through it. True statements have to be true in all situations. You can't just say truth only works in this situation. The moment you say that, you've just made a truth, and now you've applied that to all situations, and it says it doesn't work in all situations. Do you understand the folly? This is how you answer the fool according to their folly. I'll show you that proverb quickly. And then we'll go into a passage in Romans just answering that one question right there. Answer a fool according to their father. Go to Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4. Proverbs 26, verse 4 presents to us what may seem like a contradiction, but it is not. 
There are two kinds of fools. You have to know which one you're dealing with, especially when it comes to the disbelief in God. The Bible says the fool says in their heart there is no God. So this is not being mean, name-calling. This is describing people according to the Bible's description of them. Do not answer a fool according to their folly, or you yourself will be like him. Okay, so if I meet a fool, what am I supposed to do according to verse 4? Don't answer him. I meet a fool, don't answer him, keep going on with life. Okay, verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Now, what am I supposed to do according to just verse 5 when I see a fool? What am I supposed to do? According to him, according to that verse. Answer him. Uh Uh-oh. Don't answer, answer. Don't answer, answer. Contradiction in the Bible? You would think that the guy would have caught himself. He's the one writing here, verse next, one next to the other. No, it's two kinds of fools. You have to pray and discern what kind of fool are you speaking with. Jesus did not speak to every fool that, uh, that engaged him, but he did speak quite often to foolish people. You have to decide which one are you dealing with. Are you dealing with someone that is going to be irrational, disrespectful, not open-minded, and then like a pig, as the Bible says, don't throw your pearls before swine, uh, just like a pig, they love to get dirty. They will bring you into the mud with them and have a good time. If that's what you're dealing with, you need to move away from that. But if you're dealing with someone, as most of us can relate to, as we were as sinners, we've been ornery fools and we've been open-minded fools. If you're dealing with a sinner and they're saying, I want to hear what you're saying. I want to think through it. I never thought of it that way, like the young man at the bus stop last week. He said, oh, I've already talked to you guys. And I said, okay, well, what did you think about it? Well, you know, that's kind of good for you guys. And I go, well, can I just ask you a few questions? Where did you come from? Why are you here? Where are you going when you die? And then what did they have? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I bring up a solution. Now, what do you have to say about that? I'll, I'll defend this all day long as I just used polemics to rock his worldview. But you've got to tell me that you can at least know something. Because if you want me now to prove this with evidence, why should I waste my time trying to prove something with evidence to someone who admittedly can't even know if they're here today or a brain in a vat in a jar? Hello? You don't even know if you're in reality right now. You contradict yourself every time you try to defend your worldview. You tell me you don't believe in absolute truth, but that's absolutely true. You say that's only true for me and not true for you, but that doesn't apply to every situation. Hello? Are you listening? You can't do that and expect to go anywhere in your worldview. So you take them back to their presupposition. So now where would we take them according to the belief of God? We would take them to the Word of God and say, I think this describes you best. Romans chapter 1. This describes you best, and this is what I believe because God said it. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 1. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Is God true or is he not true? God is true. We've discovered that we cannot know truth without God, correct? And I don't have time to describe the Bible in this, but we're just going to say man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out the mouth of God. If God says it, can I believe it? If this is what God said, can I believe it? So at least I have an answer to give them and not a question mark. We can discuss those things later, and I love what the apologists say to the sassy one. You ask me questions about contradictions in the Bible. You ask me about the different translations. You ask me about the different uh, variants, etc. the stories of the Bible. I'll have a Bible study after you convert to Christianity and explain those to you. 
but I don't owe you those right now because you are still doing this. So don't be distracted into having Bible studies with atheists. Don't be distracted in trying to explain the spiritually minded things that the Bible literally says they can't understand because they are blinded by their sin. They must repent and be born again. They must admit humbly, as the Bible says, they are wrong. That's what the Bible says. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. The Bible talks about that he does not turn away the contrite and the brokenhearted. So I'll do the Bible study with you like I did with the young man who came from the Muslim background, and he was open to hear it because he already acknowledged there's a God that can speak. Acknowledge there's a God that can speak. Come to Jesus for the resurrection, and that is our great evidence. So we do use the evidence in the Bible to bring them to Christ, but we do it from the presupposition that you couldn't know any of this without Jesus. Do you understand? So yes, we do preach evidence, but we're not evidentialist. We're not acting like a sinner can come to the table and adequately be discerning of evidence and be converted by that alone. We acknowledge that he cannot do that unless he renounces his presuppositions. And by doing that, he opens his heart to God, and then he can see the things of the Bible. Amen? Okay, and so they suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, is it plain or confusing to them? It's plain. That's what God says. It's plain to them because God has made it plain to them. So am I ever really talking to, according to God, a real atheist, agnostic, or deist? Am I ever really talking to that kind of a person? No. I am talking to a theist, a person who believes in God, and let's leave out polytheism, so let's just separate it from not believing in God, believing in God. I am always talking to someone who believes in God. They just are suppressing it if they're saying they don't believe in God. They are rejecting what has been plainly given to them. So I am not talking to an ignorant person. I am talking to a person purposely suppressing truth and knowledge because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and the divine nature, those three things, God's invisible qualities, that he's good, that he's merciful, he's kind, his eternal power, the entire, the entire universe being sustained by his word and divine nature seen in Jesus Christ. I believe that relates to Jesus Christ. Has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And some people may uh, not see divine nature relating personally to Jesus, but I believe Jesus is the one who reveals God to all of us. Even if you haven't heard of the historical person Jesus yet, he's the one showing up in dreams and visions. He's our uh, mediator. He's the divine representation of the Father. So do you see right now how I'm going to rock those presuppositions? In love, with grace and truth, being kind and gentle. But we're not going to get past our presuppositions without them acknowledging that their presuppositions are bankrupt. Now, just I know I can't hit on every objection. We're going to go through this two more weeks. But I want to just make sure, do you guys understand this? I'm just going to go through it slowly. Presuppositions, we all have them, things we bring to the table, glasses that we put on to see the world. If you are not a Christian, you're coming with the wrong one. 
But specifically, if you are claiming atheism, agnosticism, or deism, you cannot even rationally justify your rationalization, your ability to rationalize. You cannot be trusted to make a good decision based on the evidence because you have no basis for morality. You cannot be expected to know truth because you don't believe in absolute truth. And so what we do is we show them that that doesn't work. Now we base it upon God and his word. In the last few moments that we have here, obviously they're not going to like that. They're going to think that's an oversimplification. And so, yes, it has been oversimplified. The preacher says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And then oftentimes in evidential debates, we look dumb. But we can defend ourselves in evidential debates. Even Ken Ham, a presuppositionalist, debates with Bill Nye and shows him there at the Creation Museum that that evolution does not have good evidence. But what he did in that debate was start off and show that the very fact that Bill Nye is there is because of our worldview. Bill Nye cannot explain himself in a naturalistic worldview. And we've had our best philosophers, Alvin Plantinka, one of the best living philosophers of our time, is a Christian. And he has uh, spoken on this, that naturalism cannot explain the complexity of life, the human intelligence, and all of that. But once again, we don't need to go there into philosophy. We don't, and we, well, philosophy is the study of truth. We're always going to do that. But I'm saying we don't need to know all the philosophers and the books that we've written. All we need to know is the basic truth that you cannot explain the world without God and that you would never know anything about yourself or about God to be true unless God told it to you. So just work through that, just real quick, work through that. How would you know that you're not a brain in a vat somewhere? You couldn't know. It's, it's, you wouldn't know. That's why the smartest of the atheists, like Matt Delahunty and his show on, on YouTube, who tries to go against Christians, he does not like to discuss this with Christians because he knows there's nowhere to go. And I've watched him do it with like Cy uh, Brutinga or Brutinkade. There, I just kind of made up a name at the end, Brutinga, whatever. But uh, they can't do it. And then one of the actual problems that they have, and they admit it, they admit it because uh, they debated them with Jeff Durbin and them, is that... Um, they cannot prove that solipsism is wrong. And solipsism is the belief that you are the only mind that is here present and everything else is a projection of your mind. And it has actually become a popularized belief among atheists because that's the only thing that kind of puts a period at the end of their three, 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 three. three. They'll, they'll just go, well, maybe I'm the only mind in the universe that sustains everything and I'm creating it as I go, which is really making yourself out to be a god. And they themselves as atheists really hate it, but they know that's the only alternative, and it's out of his mouth. It's only the alternative they can hopefully just try to grab onto, but it still doesn't help them, because how would you know you're the only mind in the universe? You wouldn't know. And so when we say that, we can show them quickly that it's the only way to work through a situation. So here's the way that you can do it, okay? So my child will never know where they are born unless somebody tells them. They'll never know it. It's impossible. 
so I could have a child and move to Australia and now tell that child whatever story I want about the city and the hospital they were born in. And in a world where, let's say, there was no other connections or whatever, they would never know, right? And so let's say there's a world where there's only me and my children. Now, in that world of me and my children, if I don't tell them, they will never know. They will literally go three, 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 three. You know what I'm talking about when I say three, three. It's like dividing, repeating. It's a a thing that never ends, and it's a dividing a number that can't be made to a whole, you know, a whole number. And it could be other numbers, too, but dividing um, by, no, no. But what's the one that's the popular one that gets you a third? Yeah, yeah, so if you divide something by a third, it's always going to have three, 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 three at the end. And so you can never honestly round it up to four because it never ends at three. So here's the point. I can tell them, I can tell them where they were born because I have the information. That's how it works. God is the only one that can tell us the information. He's the only one. And that point of origin comes from him for why everything else is. So then by that word, I know my origin. Well, would he also tell me other things? Yes, he would tell me why he created me. He would tell me what purpose he created me. And then I can see those things. And the Bible tells me those stories. This I know for the Bible has told me so. I wish two minutes remaining. I wish that I could maybe work through some arguments with you guys and you could try to get me to stomp, you know, you could be the devil's advocate, quote, unquote, because I'm telling you, it sounds as if people can get around it or that I will sound ignorant if you're new to this, but I promise you, uh, Ulysses has been with me, with professors, with whoever. It is impossible for them to find a way around it. And when they're honestly dealing with the information, it humbles them or makes them mad. Most of the time, with our situation, it humbles them. Uh, they just like, well, I never thought of about it that way before. Because they understand there's something in their brain that wants to stop the three, 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 three. There's something in there that wants them to stop that. But, yeah, eternity's in their heart. Exactly. The Bible says you put eternity in their hearts. That's what Paul said when he was with the, uh, the uh, Athenians. No, the Athenians. Athenians. And Athens, Athens. Got so many things in my head right now because that was such an important point. I want to stop and hit on that because he put eternity in their heart, just like Romans says. And so they're grasping, they're grasping, they're falling, and they're trying to grab air. And here somebody is standing on solid ground saying, this is the only place to stand. This is it. And they're trying to figure out a way around, and they're like, I can't figure it out, but I want to find a way around it. Like, oh, man, I don't even have time. I have, off, I, have, I have Alex Rosenberg's book, The Atheist Guide to Reality, where he tells you the world is meaningless. I'll show you in their highest levels of learning where they say that. So what's the first question that comes out after William Lane Craig debated him? <laughs> or if the world is meaningless, how do you know? How do, why did you write a book telling us the world was meaningless? Isn't your book meaningless? And I, I mean, if I had time, I would show you those videos. I would show you these things. They have no answer. This is all he said, just so you can know. He just said, there is no ultimate meaning, but we can pretend and make our meaning just like children playing in a sandbox until we pass from this world. 
And even then, making the old meaning is an illusion because he believes you're nothing more than a pop fizzing as it opens with carbon dioxide or carbonation. You're just brain fizz. So you think you have a free will, but it's an illusion of your brain chemicals. My friends, nothing you then say can be trusted if all you have to rely upon is brain chemicals like a pop fizzing. You see, it's a, it's a foolish worldview. You expose it. You deal with the other religions, we'll go head to head, and we did all the time. We'll go book to book. It's always man in the book, man in the book. We'll go man to man, book to book. Our man is Jesus, our book is the Bible. Let's go. Let's do this Pokemon thing right now. Our man is Jesus, our book is the Bible. Put your man and book here, and we'll go. But that's another discussion. And we then will still show them that they're suppressing the knowledge of the true God. Because their God would not be revealing that way because their gods will contradict logic at some point. Our God is the basis of logic and truth. He cannot lie. So if we can show them that the God of Islam lies, he can't be the real God. The God of his Hinduism lies or says things that are untrue, etc. But once again, well, I'm going to show you your Bible lie. I'm going to show you a contradiction here. Are you doing it as a theist who believes that truth is noble because God is real and God has said it? No, no, no. I'm just going to show you there's a lie. Tell me what's a lie. How do you know what a lie is? Who told you that? Now you remember that one young man was, who told you that? Who told you that? How do you know that's true? You, know, you can just see the gears going and tss, the smoke comes up because they can't do it anymore. No one can do it. That's why the Bible says it's a, it's a, it's a, folly's, a fool's errand. It's the work of folly. Thank you. Let's, let's give it up for Jesus today. Amen. We'll close in prayer. Joe B., would you get ready to shut us down? Thank you for joining us online. Lord, thank you for your time, uh, giving us this time today to study your word, to understand the basis of truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Lord, when we come to you, we will know truth. Help us to share this with others, to help us to uh, reveal to them their suppression of the truth so that they may seek you and find you. As you said in your word, uh, draw near to the Lord, and he will draw near to you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Let's give it up for Jesus one more time.